This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. talk about during the open you want to talk about how you're a good run guy good guy running i'm a okay run guy i did the broad street run this morning so my legs don't work anymore craig ran 10 miles that's many miles which is like seven miles more than i walked today (laughs) if you want to know which one of us is like more in shape right at this very moment in time i just want to give a shout out to anybody who is trying to, you know, feel good about themselves by exercise. Cause like it sucks. <laughs> like it, it's exercising kind of stinks. I mean, I've I, already, yeah, I've always said that as I would enjoy exercising a whole lot more if it didn't <laughs> suck so much. It sucks. I enjoyed the run. Cause it was like, it's through the city. You're going through the heart of the city. You get to go through the different neighborhoods. Everybody's cheering you on, but, but you're exercising the whole time. You're, you are. It's a tough price to pay. Cause now my knees don't want to do anything mm-hmm. funny. Walking around is tough when your knees don't want to do anything. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting thankfully for the show. Yeah. Most podcasts are recorded while sitting. Most of them. Except like the artsy ones where people mm-hmm. walk around, they crunch around in the woods and investigate crimes. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only other genre of podcast there is. Yep. See, mm-hmm. Check out the new seated charts on iTunes and the new crunching around in the woods charts. Those are your two categories. Welcome to Overdue. This is a podcast that's recorded while sitting about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. We're going to talk about E.L. Konigsberg's uh, From the Mixed Up Files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler. Every time you say the name of this book, I think of the Mystery Files of Shelby (laughs) Wu from Nickelodeon. Yeah, that or was, was a is show. That the name of the show, or is it the Secret Files? Uh, no, because it was the Secret Life of Alex Mack. Right. Yeah, she had Alex Mack had secrets, and Shelby Wu had mysteries. Mysteries. I don't mm-hmm. think they ever crossed over, but that was not outside the realm of possibility. They were of an era. Yes. in Nickelodeon canon. Yeah, Tw- the tween canon when we all mm-hmm. grew up from Nicktoons and developed a crush on Alex Mack. <laughs> That's really what happened. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, Before we get to the book proper, I do have two quick emails I wanted to share, Andrew. We don't do a lot of on-air mailbag segments, because then we would probably never talk about books ever again. I would like to do more of them, but we just don't leave ourselves time. Yeah, we should probably do another mailbag episode this summer, I think. Um, Yeah, let's do it. First, uh, we got a nice email from Katie M., uh, who wrote in about our Bell Jar episode, uh, we are t- we talked a lot about ECT in that episode, Andrew. Yes, um, right. And she wrote in a really nice email uh, saying that her a relative of hers 
uh, actually benefited from it a lot. Uh, my uncle got so deep and was bipolar that he was unable to eat or speak and uh, control the movements of his feet and tongue. But after one ECT treatment, he was able to eat and speak. And three years later, he's living independently uh, for the first time in his life. He's uh, in an assisted living home, but not with relatives. And he's able to participate in activities and enjoy life for probably the first time that she can remember. So uh, she did say that like a previous relative have undergone it in a you know previous generation and did not go well, which would have jived with the timeline of the bell jar. Um, but she felt the need to share that story. And I think that's important because I, I know when we talk about speci- <laughs> specifically medical stuff, which is like histories upon histories and knowledges upon knowledges, like we don't have time to learn all that stuff. Well, and and when we talked about um, ECT, which is the electroshock therapy, for those mm-hmm, of you who mm-hmm. don't remember the um, the acronym, um, we yeah, like we we acknowledged that like it was it was it was used more in the olden times, but it's still practiced today. But we just like didn't dig down very far to see like where and when it's used. Yeah, and I would you know I I would suspect that it like it stands to reason that as it has. Be, been like employed more selectively it's being employed in circumstances where it might actually help a little bit more like i could i could see that yeah totally and uh, she also recommended um both of carrie fisher's first two bi- uh, autobiographies um as those were instrumental for her mom actually being comfortable with like consenting to this uh for her relative so yeah worth noting um, I watched uh, Catastrophe, the Amazon show. Oh yeah, recently, and that's like I think it's it's one of the last things that Carrie Fisher recorded before she died, if not the last mm. thing. And man, Carrie Fisher, it's too bad that uh, that this that, is gonna be uh, real that, sad that, when that Star Wars comes back. Yeah, this is gonna be real sad. Uh, yeah. So we got another email though, and this is just a quick one. Um, this is in from Jane. There is a TBS sitcom from the early 2000s called My Boys that no one but me likes or has ever heard of, (laughs) which is a shame because it's awesome. I think I've heard of this show. Um, It's it's called My Boys. Yeah. Like, I don't think, no wonder nobody knows about it. If I knew of, this is what Jane says, if I knew of anybody. It's not Googleable. You can't Google My Boys. If I knew of anybody who had a podcast about TV shows, I'd recommend it to them. But I, I, like Jane, don't know anyone like that. So, Huh, interesting. um, Anyway, point is, there's an episode where one of the characters uh, is dating a younger woman who's making him do crazy hipsters, hipster stuff um, when he just wants to, like, chill with his friends. And there's a scene where she looks at her phone and says, quote, Dave Eggers is boxing Jonathan Safran for for charity downtown. We have to go. And she was reminded of that during last week's Everything is Illuminated episode. She thought neither you of them it. would neither. <laughs> Whoever wins, we lose in that matchup. Like, it's. But yeah, that sounds like a thing. That sounds like I just a, can't imagine either of them boxing very good. That's is what I'm saying. Well, I'm enjoying imagining both of them boxing poorly. Is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So, Andrew, had you? Let's talk about this week's book. Let's move on to the show, to the real okay. show. Fine, whatever. Yeah, we just keep doing a different show <laughs> if you wanted. Um, but have you ever heard of this book? Is this no? I, I haven't heard of this book, and I haven't heard of this author before. Interesting, because I had. It had been like floating around the back of my head, and it's children's the end of children's book week this week, uh, so I figured we should do something for it. And yeah, in I, past years, I feel like we've made a bigger deal out of it, but yeah, in past scheduling years, has scheduling has conspired to make us 
like a little like we're flying by the seat of our pants <laughs> a, a little, little bit, bit more than yeah. usual, I think. Um, but yeah, so th- I wanted to tackle this book. It's pretty neat. Uh, E.L. Konigsberg, I don't know if you knew this, Andrew. She is one only one of six. She's one of only six writers to win the Newbery Award. I got all kinds of Newbery facts about Elaine Lobel Konigsberg. Well, why don't you hit me with them? Um, she's one of six writers to win two Newbery medals. You said that already. I was trying to we, say it, but you interrupted me. I did. Here's the here's the thing about those though is she won one for her first book or one of her two first books because she wrote two and submitted them both in 1966 and then they were both accepted and published in 1967. So number one, she won Newbery that year, but also the other book that she wrote was the runner up. Which no year. one else so she's has like, done. She's like the only person who's ever done that. That's pretty cool. And then um, she won again for her book, The View from Saturday in 1997, which um, at 29 years is the longest span between two Newberries that have been awarded to one author. Setting all kinds of Newberry records. So this is like like baseball, how you get like the really obscure records, like the most runs batted in at this stadium at this time of the day by like a Scorpio <laughs> and wearing a Jackie Robinson Jersey on Jackie Robinson day. Yes. Backwards. Uh-huh. Yeah. True. <laughs> so this is like what we're getting into <laughs> at Newberry's, but yeah, that's, 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 it's cool. I thought that, I thought that was cool. Yeah. She was born in And also if, oh. if I were going to start writing books right now, I would intentionally set out to crush her records. Yes. <laughs> That's good. That like write stories that will accomplish that goal. Don't write stories just to write stories. Write stories yeah, to no. win awards. Mm-hmm. Please. Uh, speaking she, of speaking of Jonathan Saffron Ford, uh, right? My voice. She was born in 1930, and she died in 2013. Um, she was also the 2006 nominee for the Hans Christian Andersen Award. Uh, she was. Cool. Born in New York City, but she spent time growing up in a bunch of small towns in Pennsylvania. She majored in chemistry at what yeah, is... Yeah, she majored in yeah. chemistry and was a, was a science teacher for in like Florida, a year or yeah. two before, um, before stopping to be a stay-at-home mom, I guess. Um, she was... Yeah, she, her parents were both Jewish immigrants, and she has said that reading was tolerated but not sanctioned in her family. Yes. Which makes you think it was kind of like video games were for you <laughs> and me. Like, our parents I would guess. like let us do it, but wouldn't you rather be doing something else? I suppose. Would you rather be outside? <laughs> I suppose, although I don't think that video games have the direct, like... Uh, connection to maybe going to college like she was the first in her family to earn a degree and I think she was on the record as saying like her parents assumed that none of their children would ever go to college much less be able to afford it like well geez mom and dad but I think that was like we work in a you know, we're blue collar, yada yada yada. I don't think it was yeah, a, right. like my kids aren't my, all my kids are dumb Nothing's god gonna... these dumb kids ugh <laughs> Not another dumb one. <laughs> no, we thought we were getting a good one. That's not fun. That's not yeah. Her parent, her parents had three kids, of which she was the she was the middle child, I think. Right? Um, um, I don't know. Okay, cool. <laughs> that's that's one detail that just didn't make it into my brain. Sorry. Great, excellent. <laughs> uh, 
But yeah, no, I like I can imagine there is a especially if you're reading like novels or, or some genre that's perceived to be like frivolous. Yeah. If um, like especially among like a certain kind of family, like if you're if you're like working class and you have to work a lot, like I'm got sure stuff that to do. There are schools of thought that would think that reading was as frivolous as like TV or, or Isn't something. Isn't that is like the opening today. of Beauty of the Beast? Like, don't they just like make fun of her for reading all the time? I guess. Bonjour, you're reading. You are so boring. Like, there's that whole song where everybody just calls her a nerd and then she runs away to the Beast <laughs> Castle. That's how I remember that movie. <laughs> That's going definitely down. how it goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, our buddy El uh, moved out of Florida, went up, went back up to New York City or the greater NYC area with her husband and three kids. Um, she started taking art and painting lessons in the city. During which she would drop some of her older stu- her older uh, kids like at the Museum of Art, which is kind of cool. And then, yeah, as you said, Andrew, she she started writing after her third child started school, and she wrote Jennifer Hecate Macbeth William McKinley and Hecate Me- is Hecate? how you pronounce that one. It's the whatever. rare pronunciation mm. assist I can do confidently. Thanks, Jennifer Hecate Macbeth William McKinley and me Elizabeth. Uh, and then the mixed up files were both published in. Uh, 66, 67, or whatever it was, and then... 67. Cool. Submitted in 66, published in 67. Um, I don't know which one won the Newberry and which one was, like, mixed up one. for it. Mixed up one. Okay, cool. There's a, there's a medal on my copy of the book, so that's how I, I know. That's a pretty clear indicator. Uh, she said... So, Miss, this book, uh, it, like, has... Obviously, has a lady called Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler in it. She's an old lady. And it was based on this woman named Miss Olga Pratt, who was the headmistress of the school where uh, E.L. taught. And when they moved away, um, oh, and then she also, like, based the images of her, because there's all these, like, etchings and sketches in this book um, that were Mm -hmm. illustrated by Konigsberg. And she based it off, like, a woman that lived, uh, Miss Anita Brougham, who lived in the same apartment building that she did, uh, that she did. And then when they asked her about how well the book did, uh, Ms. Brown said, I am very pleased for Mrs. Koningsberg. That's it. <laughs> okay. Uh, so yeah, it's just kind of like basing. She based uh, the two main kids in this book off of her kids. Um, yeah. I don't know. What else do you, do you have anything else? Do you like when we, and we, we've done this with a few different authors. When you read about, somebody who comes to being a writer like rel- not not late in life but like in their like 30s or 40s like after most people have these after most people seem to have like established a career path for themselves that does not include being a published author mm-hmm. like it makes me it makes me happy because <laughs> i feel like i could still contribute something of value to society you know yeah. Like I could still get my get my act together and do something like good. Yeah, except the thing for me is that I look at these people who've who make the change into writing and many of them like go off and accomplish something like pretty cool and interesting first and then find their way into it. I I don't know if I've done that. You haven't done the interesting thing that you can write your novel about yet. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Now maybe I it's mean, just maybe I just pretty, need some kids. Like maybe that's just... maybe you need some kids, or like you just keep being okay at running, and then you can write some <laughs> sports books about running. <laughs> the kid who wore running shoes. 
the kid who did a good at uh, the race. The kid in the, in the haunted tracksuit. That's right. a good one. That's a good one. Goosebumps 2 by Craig Oh, a Goosebumps Matt Christopher crossover book. You could call you call your series Goose Pimples. I don't like that phrase. And they could sell it at the, <laughs> sell it at the dollar store, like the store brand Goosebumps books. Sure. Yeah, okay. I think we probably should. Are you done? I'm done. I'm pretty done. We could take okay, a break. We should like take a break real quick. I'm winded okay. from all this running. <laughs> Craig, you've moved a lot today already. I moved my body a bunch. You moved your body, but what happens when you want to like move your career or like move something else like conceptually and not necessarily literally? I think what you're talking about is a digital presence. Like moving my body into the web instead of down the street. Uh huh. How would I do that? Could I upload my consciousness into the web? I don't know why you're playing dumb because obviously we're recording this week's ad about Squarespace. <laughs> <laughs> Squarespace is a website that helps you make websites. Um, they give you beautiful award winning designer templates that uh, you can use to create a website or online store. Mm-hmm. Um, they give you an all-in-one platform that you never need to install patches or upgrades on. You don't need to worry about that stuff. Stop worrying about it. I'm what so, did I just tell you? I was worried, and then you told me to stop, and then I got worried I was too worried. But you now I'm stopped. You are too worried. Stop it. <laughs> um, they, <laughs> they've got award-winning 24-7 customer service, and they give you a unique domain experience that's fully transparent and simple to set up. So if you want to set up craigmoves.com, org that's really easy to do they're gonna let you do that um and yeah like they you can use that for a podcast website like we do at overduepodcast.com you can use that to set up an online store you can use it as your wedding website as craig and i both did there's both all of kinds us. of stuff you can do um so craigmoves.org craig, is available i'm just gonna say it doesn't load anything listen right i've now. bought a few domain names just cause. Based on dumb jokes that we did on the podcast. Like, I think I own butteryeggs.net or something. <laughs> what does it do? Does it go to our website? Yeah. <laughs> okay, no, Google, I did not mean butterfly egg. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Greg, if they want to find out more about Squarespace, what do they do? They, what happens now? They sh- well, they don't even, they, don't, they know. They don't need to find out more. What they should do, they should start their free trial today at squarespace.com and enter the offer code OVERDUE to get 10% off their first purchase. That's what they should do. Squarespace, make your next move. Uh, so, Craig, the yeah. uh, mystery files of uh, of. Basil E. Frankweiler, or whatever this book is called. Correct. Now, Andrew, have you ever thought about running away? How recently (laughs) are you talking about? I don't mean in our new fake media landscape. I mean, like, did you ever think about it as a kid? We've we've talked about this maybe once or twice before, but I, I can't remember... I can't remember that I ever seriously considered it or ever really made a serious attempt. I certainly never made a real serious attempt. 
I just like, what would I do? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Like, I think I, I think I was smart enough to know that I would not like I would just die. <laughs> like I would not be able to make it out there. Well, maybe that's so I because, better just tough it out. At home. Maybe that's because you didn't read the mixed up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler because the kids in this book are pretty self-sufficient. Um, so it opens with a letter from the titular Ms. Frankweiler to her lawyer, Saxonberg. And she throws a bunch of shade at Saxonberg, um, saying, uh, I can't say that I enjoyed your last visit. It was obvious that you had too much on your mind to pay any attention to what I was trying to say. Perhaps if you had some interest in this world, besides law, taxes, and your grandchildren, you could almost be a fascinating person. Almost. Screw your grandchildren. <laughs> Stop thinking about them. S- so she is right. You're him. so boring since you got grandchildren. <laughs> and now you're just obsessed with your grandchildren taxes. Oh, I hate you. You're the worst best friend I've ever had. Well, he's her lawyer. So I don't know if they're best friends, you're but the worst lawyer I've ever had. <laughs> In that didn't... case, I think it's weird to, to be really mad at him for having like the law on his <laughs> mind. Cause he is a lawyer. That's his job. Yeah. She's an 82 year old lady. I don't know what her priorities are, but she is sending him a story that's going to explain the changes she's making to her will. So okay. Cool. So she's like, okay, read it. It fits together. Have a good time. The first sentence of the story proper, Claudia knew that she could never pull off the old-fashioned kind of running away. Which is a great way to start the story, I personally think. What's like, how does the book define the old-fashioned kind of running away Um, relative to like the newfangled kind? The old-fashioned way is just like, you're so mad at your parents because they're parents. You know, parents just don't understand. They just don't understand, like William Smith said. And you just put the knapsack with like your Pokemon or whatever in it and you just go on out of there. Your bindle. Yes. Um, You pack it up and you leave. Now, she uh, isn't just running from somewhere, but she has decided to run to a place. And she also hates, like, picnics and being outside, so she's not going to just run into the woods. Same. She has decided that she is going to run away to the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. Okay. It's a very grand plan. They live in, like, Greenwich, Connecticut or something. She's 12 years old. Okay. And... She is the oldest of, I think, five kids, and she's the only girl and was, quote, subject to a lot of injustice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that tracks, I think, with the Most, female experience yeah, generally. Mostly in the way of, like, taking care of her younger brothers and doing girl chores, like, more emphasis is being put on her to do cleaning in a way that she finds very unfair and oh, rightfully so yeah um so she's decided that she's now she this is a long con she's saving up her allowance for like weeks weeks of skipping hot fudge sundays andrew that, that she would terrible. buy with her allowance oh my goodness now she has recruited a companion for this journey and it's her brother jamie who is nine years old and he's as she puts it stinking rich he <laughs> He has lose all he lost all of his teeth recently, and well, so he's just rolling in that tooth fairy money. He doesn't buy baseball cards, unlike every boy his age. Now, this is, I guess, taking place in the late 60s when baseball cards were still valuable. <laughs> I don't 
don't. I don't know if you knew that, Andrew. But baseball cards are worth nothing nowadays. No, I, I. It's a combination of eBay and of everybody assuming they'd all be worth something someday, and so they are not worth anything anymore. Yeah. The arrow, like as soon as yeah. a, it's as soon as a collectibles value is observed by like the wider culture like it's not worth anything actually anymore I think like beanie babies or pez dispensers or something there are probably some rookie cards that are valuable now but like any the only one that would probably be like the latest one to be most valuable is probably like ken griffey jr after that there the market but yeah was just you probably flooded. have to you probably have to go back to the 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 ones from the era where people assume they wouldn't be collectible to find the actual collectible yeah, ones. Probably the probably the ones that Jamie's not buying because he's a tightwad. Um, yes, right. So good, her, good investment, <laughs> Jamie. So her plan again is to run away to this uh museum and she's gonna bring her rich brother with her so that he could foot the bill, which is pretty smart. <laughs> And she, her reasoning is really just that she thinks her parents don't appreciate her and that they're kind of mean to her, so she's going to run away for a while. Like, she's not, it's not like in My Side of the Mountain where she needs to, like, run into the woods because she doesn't believe in society. Like, that was, like, an existential crisis for that kid. No, she just wants to take her skills to a place where she'll be appreciated. Yes, correct. Mm-hmm. And the planning is really enjoyable. I think there, there's a passage in this book a little bit later that uh, she realizes what she really most enjoyed of planning to run away was the planning part. And once she'd done enough of the planning, she couldn't back down. Like she just had to see it through. So, I know that. I know that feeling though. <laughs> That's like I, we... I have ever had more fun planning a project than I have had actually executing the stupid thing is that why we got stuck doing over 200 episodes of a podcast together Uh, no comment (laughs) so part of the plan is taking the train into new york city the city as her mother's friends call it did you call it that i vowed i never would when we first moved but now of course i do like to this day i still do i live in a city the city i live in a city that actually has kind of a chip in it on his shoulder about new york and i would call new york the city still are you guys going up to the city this weekend you would know what i was talking about though i really would and that's a you shame. wouldn't think i was talking about stupid philadelphia <laughs> No. Yeah, I wouldn't. I would just say Philadelphia. Um <laughs> so the the like tit for tat with Cla- with uh Claudia and Jamie is that Claudia loves gra- uh, she loves grammar and planning. Um and she's not good at like saving her money for sweets. And Jamie loves like adventuring and good times, but he hates spending money. This is a logic puzzle that I've set up for you. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Yeah, what like Professor Layton game am I playing <laughs> where I have to reconcile these things? So she has to like sell Jamie on this plan. Sure. And now Jamie spends every day on the bus playing the card game War with his friend Bruce. Do they bring Bruce with? No. She has to interrupt him from playing this game with Bruce to tell okay. him. But the game of war is really important because later Jamie confesses that the reason he has all his money is that because they play for money on the bus. Keeps. Yes. Um, and then later Jamie confesses that he's actually cheating all the time, which is <laughs> amazing. 
Great. He knows Good. that his friend Bruce has trouble keeping the face cards straight, so he slips extra face cards into the deck. Good job, Bruce, you idiot. <laughs> so Claudia comes to Jamie and he's like, I've picked you to be on our on the greatest adventure ever. And he's like, not why it's like why don't you just pick little Steve? Like, can you just pick someone else, please? I don't want to go. Who's little Steve? Do we find out more about him? No, one of their brothers. He's the baby. All right. Fine. He's always he is always someone's responsibility. And he says, Am I your responsibility today? And Claudia's like, Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um there's a really funny passage, and this kind of gets to the tone of how uh Konigsberg kind of writes how some of the kids like think through things. Um where Jamie's like, why pick on me? Why not pick on Steve? And she says, I don't want Steve. Steve is one of the things in my life that I'm running away from. I want you. And despite himself, Jamie felt flattered. Uh, and throughout the book, uh, Mrs. Uh, Frankweiler will like interject to Saxonberg. And she says, flattery is, an important, a is as important a machine as the lever, isn't it, Saxonberg? Give it a proper place to rest and it can move the world. And it moved Jamie. So he stops thinking, why pick on me? And he starts thinking, I am chosen. That's a good point about flattery, though. Yeah. it's There's lots of little nuggets like that where, like, Konigsberg just elucidates, a like, human behavior in a real simple way. Uh-huh. Which I appreciate. Um, so they're on board now. And they're they're going to go on this trip. They find a almost completed train pass in the garbage that it's Claudia's job to clean up. Mm -hmm. And that allows them to take the train. They sneak out by hiding in the back of a bus. Like they take the school bus and they just like hide down in the back and then take it to the depot and then hop out from there, which is like classic. That's a classic move. I think. Yeah. It's very box card children. <laughs> did you ever get, did you ever fall asleep on the bus and like, End up at the depot, Andrew? And, like, miss my stop? No. Um, when my parents visited us here, they rode on a bus in the wrong direction oh, for so no. long that they made it to the depot. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I once got woken up by a bus driver because I'd fallen asleep in the back of the bus. I was the last stop. And they, like, realized that I should have gotten off and like pulled over down the street and came and got me. That's kind of terrifying. Oh, once I did fall asleep on the train. I was going, Ooh. I was going from uh, New York back to Jersey city. And oh, I this, fell do you mean the, the city? This, well, it's, you know, some say that Jersey city is a six borough of New York city. So like <laughs> I had to really make the distinction. Um, but it's the it's a train that bounces like back and forth between the stop where we lived and um, the stop at the end in, in New York. And so mm -hmm. I slept through my stop and then I was bouncing back toward New York. And so I just had to stay on it all the way until it bounced back the oh, other no. way. <laughs> That's a bummer. Yeah, but That's it was not fine. Great. So was fine. they they sneak away. They uh, they've put all of their clothes in their instrument cases which is how they were able to sneak them to school, which is kind of smart, like mm -hmm. a trombone in a violin case. Mm -hmm. um, they've got about 30 bucks in Jamie's pockets, all in pennies through dimes. A veritable fortune. Yes. Eh, well, in late 60s, it's that's not no money. It's not no money, but it's not like run away and live on it forever money. <laughs> no, it certainly isn't. 
Um, and before they leave, uh, Claudia mails two letters. One is to her parents saying, well, I'm running away, but please don't call the FBI. And one she mailed in some box tops to, hope to in the hopes of getting a quarter. For education, just to like <laughs> give some money to her local school district. <laughs> so they end up uh, in the big city. And Jamie is a cheapskate, so they have to walk everywhere. But they are very excited, Andrew, because as you know, as someone who used to live in the city, mm-hmm. it's easy to get lost in the crowd. Oh, it is. That's the thing. That's as, one of the things. That's, as Konigsberg said, if if you have an idea of doing somewhat doing something in New York City, uh, like two thousand people have already thought of it, and a thousand people are waiting in line to do it, mm-hmm. which is fair. There's a lot of people in that city. Uh, it's a big city. So this the big is, apple they call it. So this is and this book is a progenitor to things like Night at the Museum, right? That hit the Ben Stiller movie. The Ben Stiller movie. The hit Good Ben Stiller Lord. franchise, Night at the Museum, because they're gonna start living in the me- the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and all the, all the, all the exhibits come to life. That's no, that doesn't happen, unfortunately. Well, then how is this like Night at the Museum, Craig? You're the one who brought it up. There's other things that oh, whatever they they decide to go live there. And Jamie kind of has to get pulled along because it doesn't feel adventurous enough. Um, but the like illicit nature of staying in a place past when they should be there is kind of like scratches his adventurousness itch. So he signs on. Um, they've got this plan where they like they sneak they leave the front door at four thirty and then like sneak back in through the door to the children's part of the museum um, okay. right before it closes. And then they like stash their clothes in a like a mummy sarcophagus or something. <laughs> sure. Uh, and they they have to hide in the bathrooms while the guards do like final sweeps. And then they like end up staying in a bed that was built for Marie Antoinette. Um, and this is one of the moments where they they end up doing a lot of stuff that doesn't feel very runaway-y. like. There's there's a preoccupation with the tr- doing the things that they would do in their normal life anyway, and I think this is you see this in some um, like runaway stories also, like how do characters like still find themselves doing the things that they used to do? Like when um, I mean they're still ultimately kids, right? Yeah, and, and kids take comfort in routine. Mm-hmm. And in, like, knowing things. True, so, true. Yeah, that makes sense. So, like, they worry about brushing their teeth. They worry about washing their clothes. They sleep in this bed. And when Jamie's like, a bed is boring. This isn't good running away. Uh, she points to a sign that says, like, don't touch this bed. And he's like, okay, this is this is cool. <laughs> Let's get in this illegal bed. Um, <laughs> and they have this moment where, like, that's this, like, moment for them where Claudia kind of understands how Jamie ticks. He get, he feels very seen by her. Um, and this is what, Co- what Konigsberg says. What happened was they became a team, a family of two. There had been times before they ran away when they enacted like a team, but those were very different from feeling like a team. Becoming a team didn't mean the end of their arguments, but it did mean that the arguments became a part of the adventure, became discussions, not threats. We might call it 
caring. You could even call it love, and it is very rarely indeed that it happens to two people at the same time, especially a brother and sister who had always spent more time with activities than they had with each other. And it's just like, again, nuggets like that kind of sprinkled throughout the book of, hey, I'm a kid, you're a kid, we understand each other a little bit better. And if you're a 10-year-old kid reading this book, like you might have a moment like that with your brother or sister, and now you have language to kind of talk about what that means moving forward. Well, and so so something that um, Konigsberg was was sort of known for, which I came across in, in my research, even though I'm not really familiar with her work, is um, she did try to treat kids as like their own people with their own like inner emotional mm-hmm. lives and stuff. Um, and I, I think in that way, she's sort of um, in the tradition of like Beverly Cleary or um, Judy Bloom. Oh, sure. Which wh- timeline wise, how does she match up with, with I think Bloom? she's, I think she is working a little bit before them, but let me look that up. Okay. Uh, only just she was only she was born just a little before Judy Bloom. Yeah, and um, she's publishing in like the late to, to the mid to late sixties. But um, yeah, I yeah, buy that. she's she's writing about kids as yeah, like not little adults really. Like obviously their their problems are still kid scale, but they're also maybe a little more mature and capable than adults would give kids credit for being, and that's like. When you are a kid, especially if you're, and this was not your experience, but as an older child, I was always oh, sure. a little more, I was a little more disposed to thinking of myself as being older than I was, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In, especially in relation to my siblings. But like every, every age I thought of as being like very grown up. That's true. Um, she said in an interview for the Scholastic folks um, of the book fair, excuse me, um, I read classics, but one of the reasons I started writing is that I never felt I met children who were like me in the books I read. I would pick up a book and be promised that I would meet typical children in typical small towns, and the books always had children whose families had maids. And in my town growing up, many of the mothers were the maids. So I wanted to write about children like me, um, and she says she goes on from there. So I, I think that's an interesting point of view she also says that when she stopped teaching it was because she realized she was more interested in what was going on inside the students than inside the test tubes like she Mm -hmm. was interested in kids and how they tick um, and decided to become an author instead of a serial killer the way i put that (laughs) (laughs) okay so um she's working um clearly actually is like 20 or 30 years before oh okay bloom so she's like contemporary roughly contemporaneous with judy bloom she published her first stuff a little bit before bloom did but um, working a couple, like a decade and a half after Cleary's stuff starts to come out. Cool. I did not know that. We I probably d- need to do one or both of those authors a little more extensively on yeah, the show. Yeah, I think so. Um, so the book from here on out, that we get some different vignettes of them like living in the museum. Um, one thing that they decide is that they're going to learn everything in the museum. Because again, Claudia doesn't have an end game. At some point, they're going to go home, but they don't have like a stop date. And they like play chicken with where they're going to spend their time in the museum first. And she gives Jamie the first choice. And he says, well, let's go to the Renaissance section. And he says that because he thinks that she'll be so overwhelmed with how big it is that she'll just despair and they can like go to a baseball game or I don't know. Sure. Um, And she's and she's like, oh, 
That's an interesting choice. I didn't think Jamie was old enough to be into, quote, huge, billowy, bosomy, naked ladies. Because <laughs> she had been to an art history class and knew what the Renaissance was all about, which was naked ladies. And she was like, interesting choice, Jamie. Let's go. I mean, that's the only reason I go to a museum. Hey, oh. Uh, so- that's not true. <laughs> There's, there's like guns I'm just making, hi i'm andrew from overdue <laughs> podcast i'm just making some goofs go to a museum to see the art of course <laughs> isn't your upcoming vacation going to be mostly museums it's gonna be some museums <laughs> i think Susanna and i are, are planning to have a couple of days where we go to eat different stuff okay cool. she rolls her eyes every time i say that i don't want to spend the whole time in museums but like no. Marriage is about compromise, you know? That's you know, true. You haven't been married as long as me. You don't know. I'm learning from you every day, my friend. <laughs> uh, so they go to the Italian Renaissance section, and it's super crowded, and they come across this statue of, it's like a marble statue of an angel, and Claudia becomes kind of obsessed with it, and the, a New York Times article comes out about where it came from. It turns out they don't, they don't know who made it, but they think it was Michelangelo, and not the Ninja Turtle. Sit back down. No, in the your artist. Chair. Okay. I didn't. I didn't perk up because I was like, "Oh, the Ninja Turtle." Uh, but it was sold to the museum for like a really low price of like two hundred dollars at auction, um, because they didn't know it was a Michelangelo, and it came from the files Suckers. of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler, who is a rich woman whose husband died after making a bunch of money in the corn oil industry. And she bought a bunch of art, and then she's selling a bunch of it off and moving out of New York City to a small town in Connecticut. So they decide that for the rest of this book, basically, they are going to figure out if it actually is Michelangelo. And they want to prove that that is the case, and they want to, like, save the day, basically. Um, Okay. And it kind of it takes over Claudia in a way that like Jamie's interested in it. He certainly wants to solve the mystery. But even when it's like probably true that it's Michelangelo, but just like no one has the means to prove it, it really starts to stress Claudia out because she feels like this is like the reason for this adventure. Um, and her and Jamie kind of get into a fight about it at one point, and she, and he's just like, listen. We were going to go home at some point. Like, we always, we don't, we're not going to get any more information here because they go to the library. They, they try and like solve the, there's like an etching on the bottom of it that might be Michelangelo's signature, but could uh-huh. be forged. Um, and Jamie's like, listen, we're sort of running out of money. <laughs> and I mean, $30, you might think $30 should last forever, but apparently they, it doesn't buy what it used to buy. They do. Do you get a bunch of money from the fountain in the in the restaurant museum? <laughs> um, so if you're like in a mall somewhere and you're throwing your pennies in for wishes, just know that it's going into the pockets of the kids who live there at night. That's well, and I learned I learned from uh, the Tom Hanks movie, The Terminal. That oh, sure. Also, you can get them by returning the carts and getting quarters out of them. Oh, Krakosia. For when you're made up. Middle Eastern country gets shut down and you have to live in an airport for six years and fall in love and and build a statue of Catherine Zeta Jones or whatever it was. Um, Yeah. I don't know. The real movie. (laughs) Uh, So they're, 
they're kind of running out of money. They're not sure what to do. They they do end up like solving parts of it, but then like writing a letter to the museum, and it they feel very discouraged because they get like a kind of dismissive letter back to them. Um, Does the museum not know that they've taken up residence? They they rent a post office box for the express purpose of sending and receiving one letter. It's very silly. So they decide that they have to go home. They they are running out of money. They almost get caught at one point where the school... So they've been blending in to school groups at the museum during the day. And the group from their school shows up <laughs> at one point. Uh-oh, busted. <laughs> and they, they, they were able to escape and, and not get caught. But so they're going to go catch a train back to their home in Connecticut. And right at the last second... Uh, Claudia's like, we're going to a different town in Connecticut. We're going to Farmington, Connecticut, which is where they learned that Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler lives. Now, they don't know her address. They just get in a cab and say, take us to her house, please. And Jamie just like says out loud in the cab, do you suppose that Mrs. Frankweiler owns the highway? And the taxi driver, who I think is this like cartoon New Yorker guy, so I'm going to attempt to do that, Andrew. You, you back me up if I get it wrong. I'm I'm your voice coach in this, okay, as great. in all things, because I'm so good at so many accents. Uh, the, this ain't no highway. It's all her property. I tell you, this dame's loaded. In front of the house, this here begins to resemble what you call a normal high driveway. Okay, so uh, some notes. Uh, you yeah, got please. a little bit of like Southern gentleman in there. Ooh, I, I do just declare. Like a, just like a shade, just a shade. Like I feel like you're a New York cab driver who enjoys a mint julep every now and again. <laughs> I say, I say, I say. I'm, <laughs> I'm walking here. <laughs> Jesus, Okay. So Great. Fine. He, this cabbie just like takes these two random kids to the house of an old lady who owns an entire town, which is fine. Right. Um, and and such begins the the denouement of the book. They miss they they meet Miss Frank Weiler. Yeah, like every running away book needs to end with the kids like of like learning something and going home. Yes. Right. And they're worried that she is going to send them home. She has read about them in the papers. The The parents are obviously very worried. Um, she'd recognize them instantly. And she decides that she's going to kind of get their story from them, kind of trick them into telling it. Jamie spills the beans as to where they were staying at one point, even though she had sneaking suspicions. Um, and then they start talking about angel and and why uh claudia was really upset to end the trip and they really want to find out why like whether or not it is michelangelo and whether or not uh miss frank weller knows and she lets them rummage around in her files to find this like note of michelangelo's that explains that he did in fact make the statue now of course the note could be forged the note might not be real who knows and they kind of have to live with that ambiguity forever. And she says, um, I will leave this note to you in my will if you don't tell anyone about it until after, like, I'm dead or whatever. Does she just not want to be bothered? or She likes secrets. She under- She likes having a secret and having people have to deal with not knowing something. 
I feel like the joy of having a secret is like being able to tell somebody about it. No, though. now she has told somebody about it a little bit. And but it, I mean, like telling, like telling a lot of people about it. Yeah, I don't know. Just like knowing something for a little bit, and then watching everybody else learn the thing that you already know already. That's the fun of secrets. I don't know what your relationship to secrets <laughs> is. I don't think I love secrets. But secret secrets are no fun. Secret mm, sure, secrets sure. hurt someone. We all know. Um, what is she said? She says, I need having the secret more than I need the money because she could sell the original sketch and note. Um, but she does. It's like it's it makes the secret is more intimate. And these kids are going to come visit her because they think that she's cool. So that's <laughs> she's what she's, she's really gotten is she's gotten some grandkids, which is a thing that she doesn't admit to wanting in the book. But she does get, which is kind of neat. See, this is okay. So she is practicing the secret then. Yes. She wants grandkids and she just wants them enough that she gets them. True. She also sees herself and Claudia. So this is her explanation to Jamie of why Claudia uh, was so like enamored of this statue. Um, returning with a secret is what she really wants. Angel had a secret and that made her exciting, important. Claudia doesn't want adventure. She likes baths and feeling comfortable too much for that kind of thing. Secrets are the kind of adventure she needs. Secrets are safe and they do much to make you different on the inside where it counts. I won't actually be getting a secret from you. I'll be getting details. And she goes on and gets all their, gets their story from them. Um, but she gets that, like Claudia gets to know this thing. It's a special thing that she has that connects her to her brother and to this other woman, but it's not necessarily a thing that everyone else knows. So even if she's just kind of this, and she is like a straight A student and otherwise pretty normal. Nerd uh, alert. Nerd alert, right? She gets to be different. She gets to like carry this around in her pocket and know that she has this story and that it's hers and it's no See, but how else's. will anybody know that she has a secret if she doesn't tell somebody that's the whole thing about secrets well maybe in her life she'll tell someone maybe one day she'll be an old lady and she'll tell some kids yeah the circle of secrets you said you wanted to talk about some other stuff in this episode you read it at the top of the list i wanted I did, well i didn't think that was part of the show that was like pre-intro oh Oh yeah, you're right. You didn't talk about that. <laughs> you're right. Have you ever done a podcast with me no. before? Like, what do you? <laughs> That's not true. Um, so we did. We did. Okay, the list is talked about kid money. Okay, did that. Talked about museums. Yeah, I guess we did that with some of our sick Ben Stiller groups. Talking about Runaway. Yeah, we did that. Um, talk about secrets. We yeah. About, okay, so I guess we don't have any other stuff to talk about. <laughs> no. I think we hit the list. The, I mean, um, did you have any other little little kid stories? Like when you read a kid's book mm. or like in the past when we've done stuff for children's book week or sometimes around the holidays when we read kids stuff, it's like, even if I've never read it before, it kind of reminds me of what, like how I would have felt when I was a kid. Was there any, were there any moments of that in this book that, that like struck you real hard or that you'd like remember distinctly? There's um there's a lot of arguing about language, which is really fun. Um, Claudia is a real stickler about language and her and Jamie like fight over it all the time. Um, usually about how to properly like use prepositions, like whether or not you're running away to something or running away from something. Jamie gets hung up on the idea that they're like 
hi, quote hiding out in a museum because it's a really okay. dumb place to hide out in because um, that connotes... they're hiding in plain sight though they're hiding they're yeah. blending in with all the yeah. groups and stuff he would rather be hiding out in the woods or something um and that to me is that's a very kid like establishing boundaries and rules for things like language and then like messing with them to, to establish like closeness with someone uh-huh. um is a very kid thing that feels true to me um there is a there's like they don't really get homesick ever there's a moment and not that i can ever really remember a time when i ever got homesick i think it's interesting how Konigsberg presents it like they're very capable kids um they there's not really an antagonist or anything that they're up against and every time they get close to getting caught they kind of make it out either through luck or their their own ingenuity um and they have a beat where they look at each other and they're like are you homesick like what do you think about this and they kind of say like well we're doing fine (laughs) like we've we've made this this is kind of like working like home does Maybe we'd be more homesick if mom and dad hadn't prepared us so well. <laughs> like maybe it's, <laughs> maybe it's their fault that we're not homesick. They did such a good job, and maybe that's the part that's coming from an adult's perspective. Is yeah, your parents are so sick at parenting that <laughs> you don't even really need them anymore. <laughs> yeah, and and also just I think that's a neat thing to give a to give a kid in a book like this is to say like, no, for a while a kid might be fine. Like, I've read, you know, how many books have I read where a kid, like, is gone from home and usually there's a lot of drama about why they're leaving and then within a few days it's like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And that's also very true. (laughs) That's also very true. But Mm -hmm. I think it's just as valid and and probably just as likely that a kid, especially, like, a 12-year-old, is going to be like, I can take care of this for a bit. I'm going to be okay. Yeah, it's like I, that was probably around the age when my parents started being willing to leave me home yeah. alone, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. without without supervision, like just to go to the grocery store or for an afternoon or whatever. But they trusted me not to burn the house down or like kill myself, and that was a that was <laughs> yeah. a major development in my childhood for sure. And and I think in this book, like Claudia is the the only thing that's close to her being homesick is just this sense of like she's not into puberty yet um but she is growing up and she wants to feel a little bit different and and recognizes that she probably will but doesn't know why and all of her feelings about this statue are kind of amorphous and just like she becomes really fixated on it because it's a thing that she can like tie her own self to at a time when yourself is really in flux. Right. Um, but it doesn't manifest as like, Oh my God, I miss home. Like the, the perfunctory nature, which with which they talk about, like eventually we'll end up at home is kind of comical. <laughs> like they, just, <laughs> at a certain point, the running away will be over, which is kind of can't neat. run away forever. You can't run away forever. That's true. They don't really seem worried that their parents are going to like cause too much of a ruckus though, which sure. if you think about it that's really messed up. Like I mean, that that see that's the my side of the mountain thing where yeah. your parents are just like cool with you running away from home forever. It's the inverse, yeah. Cuz you seem like you can handle it. Yeah, that's not great. They okay, they so yeah. It's a cool book. Uh any other any other thoughts as we as we wrap up? Uh I did find a 
so when Konigsberg passed away in 2013, there were a bunch of uh, really uh, interesting articles that got written and, and obituaries and other kind of takes on her work. Uh, there's one from the LA Review of Books called A City for Children in the Work of E.L. Konigsberg by Molly Rosner, which touches on a little bit of what I was alluding to earlier of this depiction First, the sense that the kids bring some of their home with them when they move into the city. Um, but also, Konigsberg's de- depiction of New York is really interesting. It's not super dangerous. Now, there are two little white kids hanging out in Manhattan. So, well, by, we're talking like, know, like probably also, 50s yeah. or 60s New York, like before the before like late 60s protests and just like the 70s and 80s like crime wave that i think a lot of probably a lot of people still associate with new york even though that has not been true for for a long time at least a couple decades yeah um though it does the the kids going into the city and and kind of deriving a bunch of benefit from it and and finding themselves in it does kind of go against the pattern of like white flight out into the suburbs that did happen post-war um so yeah this this article is really interesting it's by molly rosner and she talks a little bit about um how the kids go and like take advantage of all this free art and free culture they go to the un at one point um you know jamie wants to watch tvs at department stores (laughs) On a Saturday, and Claudia's like, no, we're going to the public library. We're going to learn about Michelangelo. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's fine. Um, so, yeah, I would go check that out. Um, yeah, it's a cool book. I really enjoyed it. It's It's got an interestingly dry vibe at times, which you may have gotten from some of the, from some of the passages I read. Yeah, sure. Um, but I think it's... It makes... It lays a groundwork where Konigsberg can really be insightful. Um about why people are feeling the ways that they're feeling. Um, and there's also a really satisfying reveal when Frank Weiler finally becomes a character in the story. So she can comment on the story as it's happening. And then all of a sudden, like, they're in the room with her. And she's like, I turned around and talked to the kids. And you're like, whoa. Like, that's a cool, <laughs> that's a cool moment um, for the way the story clicks. So, yeah, sure. it's a good book. You should probably go read it. If okay, you're there I this, go. Here you Bye. go. See you later. Um, if you, the listener, have read this book uh, or have another kid's book that uh, you'd like to talk to us about, you can reach out to us on Facebook or on Twitter at OverduePod. You could send us an email at OverduePod at gmail.com. So I want to thank Michael and Adam and Kristen and Katie and Philip, Chris, Simeon, Matt, Amanda, Tiffany, Paul, Kate, Florencia, Anna, Tara, Jacob, Andrea, Starfishick, Grace, Blake, Tessa, Teresa, Graham, Rachel, Sarah, Charlotte, Chris, and Melissa. Uh, that's just some of the folks who reached out to us on social media this week. Andrew, if people want to know more about the show, where should they go? They should go to OverduePodcast.com, which is our internet destination. Uh, you can find up there links to the books that we have read and are going to read. If you want to support us, one way to do that is to click on those links and you'll go to Amazon. You buy the books and we get a little cut of that. Uh, the Patreon project is another uh, way that we support the show. Did someone request this on Patreon or was this a Children's Book Week thing? Uh, it may have been. Let me look it up. All right. You look it up. But yeah, uh, if you support us on Patreon, um, you get bonus episodes 
a little bit before they drop. And also you can, um, at certain tiers, you can recommend books for us to read and we'll, we'll put those on the list and, and we work through those as we can. And it helps, it helps us expose, it helps expose us to a lot of different stuff. And then you also get to hear how we react to whatever your favorite book is. So I guess good luck with that. Um, also up on that website, we have links to iTunes, Google Play, RSS, and Stitcher. Those are all ways you can subscribe to the show. If you subscribe in iTunes, do rate and review us. You know the deal. Um, we have links to HeadGum, our podcast network, Spreaker, our podcast host. And um, I think that's, and I guess we also, we haven't talked about this in a little bit. We have that uh, page for new listeners with a bunch of episodes that we think are good for people who have never heard the show before. So if you're recommending us to friends, as we see people doing pretty regularly, um, point them there. And that's a, that's a good smattering of, of shows that show people what we're about. Yeah, this was just a children's book week thing. This was not a Patreon wreck. But next okay. week, we are talking about the brief, wondrous life of Oscar Wow. Which I think it's another title with a lot of words in it. Yeah, so I'll be it reading. Sounds that like for it next could week. be a, a tween Nickelodeon show. <laughs> uh, and then the week after, Andrew, we're doing a choose your own adventure. What am I gonna be? A shark. Yes, we're gonna be a shark. Uh, we will be you, sharks. Do you want to talk about our July thing? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, we're doing another live show, y'all. Mm-hmm. We talked about it a little bit. Um, we are going to be doing a, a live show in July in the city of Boston, Massachusetts. True that. Um, this is July, what, Saturday, July 15th, is that correct? That is correct. And we are going to be doing that show with our friends, the Unfriendly, Black Hotties, Christina and Camille. Mm-hmm. Also correct. Also correct. And uh, we're still, yeah, we, we just worked out a venue, so we're going to get like ticketing and all kinds of stuff set up and then we can tell you guys exactly where and when but um if you live in boston and we have gotten a few requests for a boston live show recently so here you go everybody that'll be july 15th um in the in the evening sometime we'll we'll probably do the show we'll go somewhere after and drink and hang out and it'll be fun i think usually it usually is yeah so uh, check out our social feeds for more stuff on that but we just want to start um advertising that as early as we can so people can start making plans make those worth it baby worth it yeah that's it andrew that's the show okay thanks everyone for listening we like you a lot (laughs) Um, until next week everyone try to be happy That was a HeadGum Podcast.